We are excited to have you join us for another episode of Real People, Real Hope. I'm Jill Heiser, Vice President of Mission Advancement, and I am joined today by Dave Game, President and CEO. Hi, Dave. Hi, Jill. And also Shonda Four, our Chief Operating Officer. Hi, hey, Shonda. Jill. Should we tell everybody how you broke your headphones about three minutes ago and Sean had to fix them? Or are we going to? You guys, it takes there? a village with me. It was it was breathtaking, actually. Thank you. How Thanks. well you did that. I've never heard headphones described as a Rubik's cube. Well, it got flipped around, turned mm-hmm. around. Sean solved it in a second. It would have taken me all day. So thanks yeah. for saving me, no, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have a very special guest with us today. Um, one of our foster fathers is going to be with us, uh, just telling us more about his story. Um, So I am excited to introduce you to TJ Stewart. Welcome to the studio, TJ. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, I always say that our foster parents are real life heroes because you guys have one of the hardest jobs in the world. Um, And yet, for whatever reason, you make it look like it's just so darn easy. And so I just think that that's really great. And I cannot wait to hear a little bit more about your story. Dave, I know this specific episode is really important to you and you too, Sean. Um, But I know Dave, as a foster dad, has been saying for quite some time, we got to get these dads on board here. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a whole different conversation about uh, foster care and what it's like to be a parent. And it just seems like it always takes just a little bit longer to get dads on board. So Dave, tell us a little bit about why this episode is so important to you. Well, for a couple of reasons. Number number one, TJ's, as you put it, a real life hero, sort of a rock star in, in our world. And, and so just to hear and share his story is part of why I'm so excited about it. But I think the other is it helps us sort of tell the broader story of families in foster care come in all shapes and sizes. And yeah. TJ's story is a great example of that. And, and you're right, I've had a heart for dads in foster care for a long time because it's a unique and very challenging role. Not that moms don't have that too, but dads come at it different. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit as we as we get into the story here. Yeah. And Sean, you've been doing this work for a lot of years. And so I'm sure you've just seen a lot of different foster parents kind of come through. So when this episode airs, it's actually going to be Father's Day, you know, that month of June that we all love. Um, so can you just talk about our need for foster families, foster dads, foster moms, that it really, it is a, it doesn't matter what kind of family it is. We just need people to step up and take care of kids. Sure. And families come in all shapes and sizes. And Dave, I don't want to steal the story if you're going to share it later. But, you know, Dave talks about his um, his daughter when she first uh, came to live with them. And I think you, you sort of asked her, you know, what sort of family would have been a perfect fit for her. And she said something like, you know, I don't I don't know that I would have cared what kind of family it was. It could have been, uh, you know. Uh, a sloth family yep. that was raising me as long as I felt loved and safe That's right. or, or something yeah, like that. In fact, her quote was, um, two gorillas that kept her safe and That's loved would one. have been just fine with her. So I think yeah. Elaine and I, we cleared that bar a little bit. <laughs> Maybe not all the time, but just a little barely. Bit. Yeah. Just she barely. She thinks and, I'm a Neanderthal at times. So, <laughs> you know, that's a different conversation. But. And I just, I'm sure I, ha- I hacked that story up. But what I, what I love about that story is that there are, you know, a million different shapes and sizes of families and there is a kid who will find that family to be a perfect match for them so for us the more families we can find no matter what they look like the better chance we have of finding the perfect family for a kid and we have you know over 13,000 kids in foster care on any given day about two to three thousand of them become available for adoption because they can't be reunified with their natural families and we just have a constant lack of available foster parents to fill that need 
need, and especially when it comes to dads. Um, mm-hmm. I think Dave's right. There's sort of a different role, and, and I'm sometimes saddened that we don't see more men, more dads stepping up to be foster parents, and the ones that do seem to just have an amazing impact they do. Yeah. on kids that they, uh, they foster, adopt, respite care for. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So TJ, I'm excited. Let's hear about this journey of yours and kind of how it all started and how you got to Wellspring. Um, can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about you? Sure. So um, when I was thinking about it earlier today, I was thinking like what really was the drive when I decided to become a foster parent. And I think like growing up, I can divvy it up into my professional life, my personal life, and then my faith. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that they all had such a huge impact on where I'm at today and why I finally chose to foster. I work in early childhood um, for a nonprofit program, and we um, see a lot of children who are foster children Mm -hmm. um, in our program, so that was, you know, just a, a way of exposure. My family has also been involved in adoption and guardianship, so... That's just, you know, another exposure. And then really just my faith um, as a Christian, wanting to help and help the community, help um, those in need, really was a driving force. Um, I often say that God speaks to me, but I don't listen. He doesn't speak loud enough. And then he yells. So what the jumpstart was, throwing around this idea of, well, if this happens, I can become a foster. If this happens, I can become a foster parent. And I was serving in my youth ministry at church um, and had a friend who I had no clue fostered. And somehow it got brought up and I said, yeah, I'd like to get involved in fostering. And she said, well, I'm a foster parent. And she took the reins from there. She heard I was interested. She looked to see, she fostered through Wellspring, um, looked to see when the next orientation was and said, hey, I'll go with you even. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't really have any any excuses to use at that point. I thought, let's see what they have to say. And and it's interesting because our best recruiters are foster parents Mm -hmm. that are already Mm -hmm. serving kids, right? Right. And so you've experienced that firsthand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So I went to orientation and I was was ready to go. (laughs) So can I ask a question on the the God's call piece Mm -hmm. turning into a scream that you talked about? I I hear a lot of potential foster parents uh, make that first contact with us because they're they feel like they're getting a call, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, the noise gets in the way and somehow that call right. gets drowned out. What were some of the things that got in your way when you were thinking about fostering that stopped you from taking that leap before the scream came? Well, at first, I think some of the some of the myths of foster care, right, are um, definitely hindrances to people. Mm-hmm. So thinking that I had to be, you know, very wealthy to be able to do this or thinking that I had to have everything set in place and all my bills, you know, perfect, no debt, everything, all these different pieces. Um, So that was one piece. And then being a single dad, can you foster as a single dad? And that was just, you know, another piece. And then the the mechanics of that, how do I foster as a single parent? Um, Who's going to take care of them when I'm working? Mm -hmm. I think that those are all pieces that the enemy speaks to us Mm -hmm. to keep us from this um and then after like i said talking to a couple foster parents talking to my friend i just thought well let's try it and see they're gonna tell me no if i can't so Mm -hmm. um i don't have to make that decision i'll let them and you know like i said i went through the orientation um i started the paperwork process and everything was so supportive the whole time that it just felt like this is exactly what i should be doing wonderful that's great. So 
take us back to you, you you fostered several mm-hmm. children over the years now right mm-hmm. how, how many years have, have you been so I've this been fostering since 2016 okay so about three years mm-hmm. plus right so tell us a little bit about some of the kiddos obviously you know we've got privacy and all that but tell us a little bit about sort of who these kids are and how they've impacted you yeah so when I um, was at the tail end of getting my licensing done um, we were actually waiting for the, the word back that I was open and Wellsprings already had a placement for me um, little guy who was um, bounced around a couple times mm-hmm. And the licensing worker just kept telling me, TJ, I really feel like this will be a good fit for you. He was on the high end of my age in preteen, which was concerning to me um, as a first-time parent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got my license. He moved in. And you would have thought that he was with me from day one. Awesome. Um, we just really hit it off right away. He was a really cool kid. Super polite, had really good manners, um, really good sense of humor. And I just thought, like, in that instant, I thought, this is what I'm supposed to be doing because that's not typically what you hear before you're a foster family. Mm -hmm. Right. And you hear, you know, all of the negative. So to see this little guy who was so happy um, just to be in the house and be able to decide he could have pizza today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The little things. Um, so he was my first child that I fostered after about nine months, he was reunified with his um, mother and that was a really good process. Um, working with her, working Mm. with him, working with the agency, really wrapping each other, you know, wrapping services around them. Um, I took a little bit of a break in between him and my next set. I actually Mm -hmm. was on a break when I took my next foster so uh, so can i just interrupt because yep. there's an important question i gotta have you respond to so we know we hear from a lot of folks who are thinking about fostering and oftentimes one of their big barriers is i i know i'm going to be you know in love with these kids mm-hmm. i couldn't bear the thought of of sending them back mm-hmm. so you've done that successfully mm-hmm. and twice <laughs> twice now great and mm-hmm. so talk a little bit about that you've got a different feel about that mm-hmm. you've you've experienced it that's actually one of my really big pet peeves as a foster parent i couldn't do it because i get too attached and part of the reason it bothers me is because i look at it and think well do you think that i don't get attached mm. um i'm human I, I i have emotions i have feelings and i have love for the children that come into my home but i do it because they deserve that um they deserve you know to have that love and have that support and have that safe place as far as the reunification piece Both experiences I had were very positive. Mm. I had very good relationships with the parents. Um, The mom of my first child who I was fostering, her and I had a very good relationship, um, even to the point where she would tell me how she was concerned about when reunification was taking place. Mm. Um, I just don't know Mm. if I can do it. Mm. And, you know, being there in her corner and letting her know, like, you've got this. You've been doing visits. You've been doing this. And... For um, that situation, I actually extended past the foster care and, and said, if you need respite, if mm-hmm. you need just to call and talk, if you need you know a day for him to just get away from you for a minute, you just want that break, um, go ahead and give me a call. So I think it's all in your approach. Right. And if you partner with families, then you're going to have that successful ending. 
Yeah. And I, I appreciate that you shared that story, TJ, because I think people assume that there's this adversarial relationship mm-hmm. between the parent that's uh, trying to be reunified with the child and the foster parent. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when the two work together, it's uh, it's magic and it, it's magic for the kid right. and it's magic right. for the child. I wanted to pick up on something you talked about a second ago, which was respite. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you took a break between a mm-hmm. couple of the kids, um, the children that you fostered. I, I don't think people always realize that respite is an option or taking a break is an option. Right. So talk a little bit about those, um, so those two things. After, I mean, again, going back to those attachments, after um, my first had left, I had just thought, let's take a break, let's cool down, let's process this. Um, you can't help anyone if you're not helping yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So I took I took that time. Um, I was still taking that time when I got a call for my next placements. I had at first thought, mm, I'm still ready for this break. Like I, I need to stay in here. But it was right around Christmas, and they were had exhausted every option. So it was me or residential. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just not something that I was willing to just because I wanted that break. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've taken a break in between all my fosters actually, and I've also steered towards the option of respite and just took placements for a couple of days until they found a placement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that is a big piece that people need to be aware of that you you can do some self care. <laughs> yeah. So you had opportunities to use respite Absolutely. so you could get a temporary break mm-hmm. and also to provide it for other right. other families when they needed it. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. And, and that's just a good reminder, sort of as an aside to your story, that foster families who just do respite are mm-hmm. also needed in the system. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. as folks sort of listen to this podcast in the months and years to come, if, if you're thinking about it, becoming a respite foster parent is a really good option mm-hmm. and so I don't want to take away from your story because it's so important I want to get back to it but um, but I had to throw that little commercial message in there well I think it's a good one because that's a really easy way to kind of dip your toe mm-hmm. in the pond and mm-hmm. see if it's something that you're able to do yeah um, so yeah I think that that's very good point. to point out so you've got a couple mm-hmm. little guys with you right now I that do. their story's changing along with yours as yes. I understand so yes let's All hear about that are changing a little bit <laughs> yeah um, so it's their story is a long story, but to keep it shorter, um, I actually took them as respite about a year and a half, two years ago. Um, That's a long respite. Yeah, I tell you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Took them for respite, and then they got a oh, okay, got it. right, okay. right. Um, yeah, that would be <laughs> that would be a really long respite. Yeah, a little bit longer. I just need to throw that in just in case somebody was saying, "Wait a minute." <laughs> right, right. And no, I they... had them for respite for five days. Okay. Are they siblings? Today? They are. Okay. They are. Yeah. Um, and after my last placements had left, I had taken another break and really was, again, you know, praying, talking with my youth group, talking with my um, my life group at church. And I just was feeling a need that fostering, yep, I want to do that, but I also want something more permanent as well. So I started looking at fostering or adopting through foster care. And I thought, well, let me just even see if there's any children who... I would remotely think would be a good placement. It would be a good fit for me. Um, so I went on the Michigan Adoption Resource Exchange, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, I clicked what age groups I was looking at and whatnot. And here are these two boys that I foster, or that I provided. And there they to. were, right in front mm-hmm. of you, then, right in front. Mm-hmm. Of me. Um, so I inquired about them. Went to my first meeting um, 
for like the orientation and then doing the paperwork. And as I was talking about these two boys that I was interested in, um, my worker said, oh, well, what are their names? So I gave them their names and she stopped for a second. She said, what? And I said it again and she pulled out their file. Um, she actually didn't know that I ever had them as a placement mm-hmm. as, you know, for respite and um, was already interested in talking to me about them. So it That's was, great. again, just I feel like God's plan for that. There's a little affirmation for mm-hmm. you. Huh? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just um, for those who aren't familiar with MARE, uh, mm-hmm. the Michigan Adoption Resource Exchange, which you mentioned, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of how our child welfare system tries to find uh, permanent families for kids who do not have a family, uh, either a foster family or someone else that's sort of in line interested in adopting them. Right. Um, and what what's really great about the way you found your two sons, soon to be sons, is that they they're in this group that is traditionally very hard to place or find adoptive families for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's fantastic. Yeah. So where are you at in that process now? So today is officially our last day of our fifty sixth waiting period. Okay. Um, tomorrow we are going to well, we're not going to court. The worker is going to mm-hmm. court. Um, to file the paperwork for finalization and then we will wait back to hear from the courts and we will be all set with that. Just like that, a forever family is created. It is. It's it's been a long journey for the boys. It feels like a long journey for me, but they they've had a long journey. So Um, what's been that time frame from that conversation you just related with your with the worker at mm -hmm. about adoption and say today? So that was in October of 2017. Okay. Um, they were placed with me in February of 2018, mm-hmm. and we're getting ready to finish yeah, now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is a long journey. T- it is. And, and TJ, something else that I'm really struck by is you're, this is your first uh, children that you're adopting, and mm-hmm. you're adopting siblings, mm-hmm. two, two kids together. Yep. Did okay. that feel like yeah? Did that feel like a lot for you at first? Because we we have such a great need for families who can adopt or foster multiple kids, and it always breaks my heart when mm-hmm. I see siblings separated. Right. So say a little bit about how that felt um, adopting siblings like that. So my first, the first child that I fostered was it was a single child. Um, the second set that I fostered were brothers. So I'd already kind of. Thought, okay, well, I handled it for nine months. I think I can handle it forever. <laughs> um, but I really, again, I, th- I think it comes down to like just really being prayerful and same idea. I couldn't think of having kids separated. So when I went looking, I was looking for a sibling set because mm-hmm. I wanted to, if I knew that I could take two, I wanted to take two. Mm-hmm. If I thought I could take three, I would take three. I stuck with two. <laughs> we have more for you if you want to. Right, right. <laughs> That's true. So, TJ, one of the things that we hear a lot is that um, foster families just add so much to a child's life, which is so true. But on the other end of that, I know that children add a lot to the people who are caring for their Absolutely. their lives, too. So what do you think the biggest lesson is that you have learned from just being a foster dad or even just the boys that you're about to adopt now? Well, I'm so glad that that's a question because, honestly, it makes me super uncomfortable when um, people or you know friends or family will say, oh, you're doing a great thing. You're such a blessing to those children. And I feel completely the opposite. Mm -hmm. Um, Having these children come into our lives, it's such a blessing to me. Um, They've taught me things like unconditional love. They've taught me um, patience. Um, Just having a 
a childlike sense of humor about things and being able to laugh things off. My boys, they have had a lot go on in their life and to see how happy they are and just how well they have adjusted to now our home instead of my home. Mm -hmm. um, It's just amazing to see their resilience. That's beautifully said, and I love love the our home. It's so clear just throughout the entire time that you've been talking that it is so much an our thing Mm -hmm. with you, and that's just, I just think that's so commendable. Well, that's that's when you know that God is at work, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. From the surface, we say, well, these kids are being blessed by a foster dad who's going to become the dad, but you know and we know that when God's at work, Mm-hmm. Those blessings flow both ways. Absolutely. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. Somebody doesn't have to lose a blessing in order for somebody else to get a blessing. Right. It's, it's, it's going both ways. So I wanted to sort of pivot back a little bit to a comment you made earlier, and I'm going to sort of frame it around sort of the myths of foster care, mm-hmm. all right, the myths of becoming a foster parent. You, you sort of touched on this, our, our own experience, when, when, when my wife and I decided to move into fostering, it seemed like everybody and their second cousin who knew us wanted to tell us the horror stories mm-hmm. that, well, I had a neighbor who did that and, the, you know, the child tried to, you know, burn the cat and destroy the barn and, you know, I mean, just every horror story that they thought they had ever heard. Yep. And many that they hadn't, but just they were great stories anyways, right? They had to share. So, mm-hmm. so one of the myths is these kids are really, really behavior-wise, you're just going to have your hands full, and mm-hmm. right? So talk a little bit about what, what was your experience when you start, when folks you knew started to know that you were going to foster? Right. Well, so close family, immediate family were all on board. Yep. They were, you know, jumping in with me. Um, but those friends and extended family, I, I got the same you got thing. the same thing, yeah. I got the horror stories, and um, I oftentimes would say, now is this fact or is this fiction? Yeah, right. <laughs> Which one are we are yeah. we going on? Because it's like you said, a boss's second cousin's wife. That's right. Had a had a foster yeah. <laughs> child that had this horrible situation. Mm-hmm. Um, all of my foster children have been typically developing children. Mm-hmm. Um, they have tantrums like a normal child would. Um, they have you know good days and and not so good mm-hmm. days. Um, I think the difference is they've experienced things in their life that mm-hmm. typical children haven't, right? So, to me, I am more flexible when I see those behavior mm-hmm. problems mm-hmm. because they have a reason to to have some, you know, struggles going on yeah. in their life. But for the most part, all the children I fostered actually have had better manners than most children that I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think that that's one that we can quickly dispel as a mm-hmm. myth. Yeah. Um, they've been very polite, very thankful, um, and just be- very appreciative. Yeah. Yeah. And right, all kids, wherever they come from in life, are going to go through challenges and behaviors mm-hmm. and triggers might be different, the backgrounds might be different, but those they're, they're, they're kids. They're just kids in the end, aren't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. While we're on the subject of, of myths, uh, TJ, you talked about some of the myths that kept you from taking the plunge mm-hmm. uh, to, to getting licensed and be, becoming a foster parent. For all those people out there who may be listening and thinking, I've thought about this. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm the right person. I don't know if I can do this. I have all these reasons why I think I can't. What mm-hmm. would you say to them? I would say it's very similar to having your first child. You're never going to be ready. If you're waiting for the perfect situation, mm-hmm. you're going to be waiting forever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you have a heart to care for others and to love others, to just jump in and you'll figure the rest out. Um, things that I couldn't figure out or things that I struggled with, I had a Wellspring agency, you know, I had uh, a foster care worker, I had a licensing worker. I had plenty of support that could get me through mm -hmm. those quote-unquote difficult times, but those were uh, few and far between. Um, I would just say, you know, jump in and, and enjoy the ride because it's an adventure. Mm -hmm. It really is. Mm -hmm. And I would just add, um, and I've shared this over the years with all kinds of audiences, really for folks who have talked about it and talked about it and thought about it and, you know, just aren't there, I really ask them to do two things. One, learn about it. Get mm -hmm. serious about getting the right information. Come to an orientation class at Wellspring. Understand it. But the, but the other, specifically for people of faith who are being prompted sort of inside to do something, I really challenge them to pray about it for 30 days. Mm -hmm. As a couple, if that's the situation, maybe with a prayer partner, whatever that is, mm -hmm. pray about it for 30 days and let God finish that prompt one way or the other. Mm -hmm. He wants you to know the answer. Absolutely. And so just be prayerful about it, learn about it. And uh, you'll get to the end of that 30 days and you'll, you'll be somewhere different mm -hmm. in your readiness. Or maybe not. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the answer. But, um, but certainly, um, as Sean said earlier, we need foster parents. And, boy, if we could um, open a cloning lab and get TJ <laughs> cloned, we'd, uh, the world would be a better place in a hurry. Yeah. And I think that's great advice. And if in that 30 days you have any questions, you can always reach out to, that's uh, right. to Wellspring. We'd be happy to answer them while you... Um, while you reflect and exactly yeah so last question tj as we wrap up today so one of the things that sean and dave always say which i just so appreciate is that one of the most important parts of becoming a foster parent is choosing the team that you're going to do that with so there's a lot of foster care agencies out there um why why wellspring so i think that part of it um you know i had that personal experience maybe not my own personal mm -hmm. experience but i had a friend who had had a very positive experience with Wellspring. Um, that was my initial go-to, you know someone, you know, word of mouth. It was later that I realized that it was a faith-based agency, that, that you had a, a, you know, God's view on things, um, which for me as a Christian is hugely important because I want to know that I'm working with others of faith. Um, and then, like I said, the orientation um, I attended that. It was super relaxed. Any questions you had, nothing felt awkward. And then staying with them, staying with Wellspring, um, just the support that I've gotten throughout my time as fostering, um, knowing that I can contact my licensing worker with any questions that I have, um, knowing that I didn't have to wait to business hours to send a text to my um, foster care worker if something was happening. Just the support you get, whether you have to use it or not, it's there. Right. Well, I know all three of us are just so grateful that you would spend your evening with us. I'm sure mm -hmm. being a dad makes you very, very busy and working full time right. and doing all of the amazing things that you're doing. So the fact that you would give us some of your time tonight means a lot to us. So thank you. Well, you're very welcome. I, like I said, I'm very appreciative to have the opportunity to talk because I think that this is a very important topic. Thank you, DJ. very much, DJ. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, just like all of you listening, um, I'm just blown away by the beauty of TJ's story. 
every aspect of it reminds me that this journey that we're at, at in life is just beautiful um, and it's got a lot of twists and turns and you never know what's going to happen. But one thing is for certain that uh, God is merciful and always has a plan. So we're celebrating with you today, TJ. I know that this is a big day for you and so excited about the future of these two little boys uh, with you. It's going to be a, a rich future, that's for darn sure. So if you are out there and you are thinking, hey, I could do this, if you've even thought about it for an instant, please log on to our website, wellspringfostercare.com. Uh, there's lots of resources, lots of videos, lots of uh, statistics, just every kind of piece of information that you're looking for. And if you can't find it on there, you can live chat with us. We have experts uh, ready and willing to just chat with you about all those questions. And I'm even sure that TJ would be willing to talk to you if you had a question because he just <laughs> seems really open to that. So sorry to put you on the spot, TJ, but no putting you in there. You didn't say my phone number. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you all for listening. Um, we are just so privileged to have you uh, tune in every week. And thank you for listening to this episode of Real People, Real Hope. We'll be back with you soon.